Father in heaven, we come before your throne of grace this morning, this afternoon. We thank you for your precious word that we've heard this morning. We thank you for the truth, the everlasting truth that we are able to take in to give us guidance and strength and light to the path and lamp unto our feet. Bless the word as it goes forth again this afternoon and open hearts to be willing receivers and doers of it. We pray for those that do not have not made it here this afternoon for whatever reason, but would have lo- loved to be here, especially for the sick, for the shut-in, and for those that are going through many struggles and suffering as we've heard this morning. We invite thee and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For this afternoon's text, with the Lord's help, I'd like to read from the second epistle of Apostle Peter, chapter 1. Second epistle of Apostle Peter, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God, and our Saviour Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might, be, ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure, For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, that ye know them and be established in the present truth. I've read up to and including verse 12, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. This um, epistle was written by Peter. He addresses himself as Simon Peter by the name that his father gave him uh, and also by the, the name that Jesus gave him. He surnamed Simon Peter or 
Little Rock or Rock. And he said that perhaps knowing that at, when he spoke to the disciples in Matthew 16, that Peter will take a, a fairly significant part in the new church that would begin on the day of Pentecost after Christ ascended to be with his father. When he asked Peter and the disciples, whom do men say that I am? And they said, some say you're this man, some say you're this man, some say you're this. But Peter, but whom do you say that I am? It sort of reminds me, as I mentioned before, when I was talking to my brother Mike's friend about, you know, what does conversion mean? What does salvation mean? And I went to the scriptures and said, well, the Apostle Paul says this and the Apostle Paul says that. He says, no, what do you say? What, is, what does salvation mean to you? And it's really a personal testimony that Peter talks about to be always ready to give account of the hope that lies within us. So Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And upon that, there was this great confession. This is what it really means for a confession when it talks about in the New Testament language that with the mouth, with the heart, man believes unto salvation, but confession is made with the mouth. And the confession is not speaking specifically of sin here, but the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the living God, the Savior of the world. So he was given this name by Christ as a reminder to him who, as an identity, if you will. So he remembers, you're this rock that I said, and upon this rock, upon this confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he wanted to remind him, this is your calling. You are the rock. When I leave, you're going to be, if you will, the leader of, the, of this group. Peter, James, and John. James was early beheaded. John continued, but Peter was this man that was identified by Christ as the little rock. And he says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us to the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's another term that Peter introduces. He, re he recalls what Christ gave him, the surname of Peter, but he also recalls to let, to let everyone know that even though he knew Christ personally, he was his servant. He was the servant of Christ. In other words, Christ was his Lord. And he was also um, an apostle of Christ because Christ sent him out. Chapter 10 of Matthew, he sent out 12 disciples whom he had called down apostles because they were the sent ones. It's always good for us to remember our identity in Christ. Yes, we are children of God. Yes, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And anytime we are faced with decisions or, or, or um, 
activities that we must remember who we are. Paul says, you are ambassadors for Christ. Remember that. When you appear before um, other people, you are representatives of Jesus Christ. At work, when somebody says something that's out of place, when we have these big meetings now, conference calls, there's a lot, there could be 30 people on the line, and, and they may some, say something, you may get that person getting called out because you said, that was not a professional thing to say. Who are you? You're a professional. When we try to slough work onto somebody else, say, that's not my responsibility. We are reminded we are professionals and we have to act professionally. We have to, to do things professionally. And for us to be reminded who we represent and who we are in Christ is one big advantage that we should take care of or, or could really uh, uh, follow and accept and consider. So he said, I'm, a pro, I'm, an, I'm sent by Christ. I'm his servant. And I am now writing to everyone that has obtained the like precious faith. Which like precious faith? The like precious faith which he had received from God. The like precious faith which he had through following the words of Christ and applying them to his life and believing this is that like precious faith that I want to pass on. Identity is so important in our walk with Christ. Today you have people that if I go back to the, the old-fashioned identity, your identity was, in the old-fashioned way, was to be a member of a, a community or a society. You were to be a father, a son, uh, uh, a member of the, the religious group or, or the Christian group. You, and, and you did what was good for the common good of that society. And you knew that if you stepped outside the bounds of the values of that society, that you were going against the society. And you would bring displeasure to that society. The new uh, paradigm, if you will, is you don't belong to anyone. You are your own person. What you want to do, you do. Your dreams, you fulfill you do whatever comes to you. You do according to your feelings. And it doesn't matter what the rest of society says. You will get approval from others because you have done what you thought was your vision and you went out there and did it, regardless of what the society says. When we become members of the body of Jesus Christ, we are not an island. As a matter of fact, the world even sings, no man is an island. We belong to a, a commune of Christians, a family of Christians that has not individual ideas of how they should run their lives, but they get their, their knowledge, they get their experience, they get their wisdom from an author. This is something that's come very 
very clear in these latter 50 years of, of, of society in the world. Even before that, but even more so now with the multimedia and easy uh, communication. When someone wrote a book, he wrote a book because he was an authority on the subject. He became the author of the subject. Now, anyone can be an authority as, as long as they have a platform, as long as they have a place where they can write their, their blogs and vlogs. They now, they're the authority. And that's why there's so much confusion in this world today. Because when something is raised, everybody puts their two cents worth in, contradictory information, and everyone's confused. I don't know who to believe, what to believe anymore. What authority do you have? One thing that we can say, we as believers, not only say, but we need to believe that our authority comes from the author of the book of life. He wrote the book through his messengers. Men were moved by the Holy Spirit to write these things. None of these things are of any private interpretation. This came over, this whole book came over hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, written by the one author, the Holy Spirit, but by many scribes, if you will, many secretaries that were listening and moving to what the Holy Spirit was telling them. Paul, Peter even says that in this, in this uh, two epistles, that nothing is by any private interpretation but holy men were moved as they here it is at the at the end of this chapter i didn't read this far but but um says we have a a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the dawn and the day star arise in your hearts knowing this that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the spirit for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was the author of this book. The Holy Ghost is the authority on this book. And he teaches us and has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness as he mentions in the verses that we have read whereunto ye do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts the morning star who was the morning star Jesus Christ I've reflected on this idea of this dawning of this light. And I remember a scripture a long time ago, someone quoted in Eastern Camp from Proverbs 4.20. I looked it up. And it says, the, the path of the just is as a shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. I thought, Wow, that seems very profound. What, is that, what does that actually mean? 
The path of the just is as a shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. As I read and looked at different translation, one translation says, the path of the just is like the dawn, the dawning of the day, the morning light. And as the day progresses, it gets brighter. The sun rises and it gets brighter and brighter and brighter until you become to the full day where you can see clearly. And many of us, when we start off in walking with Christ, we don't see everything. We see through a glass darkly, as we heard this morning, and the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Things aren't as clear, but the longer we live, the more we walk with the Lord, the more we attain to this knowledge of God, it becomes brighter, it becomes clearer. It all makes sense. What we thought before was unreasonable or incomprehensible. All of a sudden, as you walk with the Lord and you grow more and more, you see more and more. This became very apparent to me when I was, about a week ago, I was, some of you may know, I've been converting the old videos since the kids were small. I would take my video camera everywhere we went to camp to see, to have them shot at camp and in their choirs and, and playgrounds and whatever it was. And when I started watching these songs, some of these songs began to move me because these are the songs that we used to sing. I remember Brother Edmund directing 1994, if something like that, the, 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 the adult choir, where we sang some of these songs we sang tonight, or this afternoon, should I say. And I'm looking into the crowd to see who do I recognize. And I'm look, some are obvious, they don't change much, but I couldn't pick them all out. And then as I pan from the choir to the audience, to the choir to the audience, over a half an hour, every time it panned, I, I spotted somebody else. And I spotted some. Oh, there's Eric and Philip. They're sitting in the front bench for the teen choir. Oh, and there's Mark Gruwich. And there's, there's um, Darlene up on the back row. And, and, and more and more, the more I looked, the more I could recognize the people. And it brought back so many good memories, so many blissful memories of the days gone by, getting nostalgic in my old age. It brought back these many memories, and I thought to myself, oh, oh, that we could bring some of them back. That we can bring some of them back. But every, every era has its phase and time. And I'm not saying that today isn't the same opportunity. We, can, we create memories. But I sort of, that analogy... The more I look into the crowd, the more I look, the more I search, the more I see. I, I, you have to put an effort into it. You say, I don't see, it's just a blur to me. Have you looked? Do you really? Is your memory bringing things back to you now? And then I look at this verse, it says, you take heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn. And the day star arise in your hearts. 
Some people think that you, you read through the book of the Gospels and you read it through once and you should be converted. We heard this morning how every time you go through Romans 8, there's something new that comes up. There's something that's deeper. You know, you can go through the Bible, you can travel, you can travel the countryside very rapidly from the east to the west coast of, of North America. You can go on a train, you can go on a plane, you can cross the, plane, the, the continent in five hours by plane, but what do you see? A lot of ground, some clouds. But what do you see when you go at a slower pace? You may not cross a lot of real estate, but what you do is you go deeper. You go deeper into the Word of God. You search for God's nuggets of truth that apply to you. You come across something that you didn't rec realize before. And so when Peter is writing this, this letter to, to the uh, Christians abroad, because it, it is believed that, doesn't say where it was written from, it, is, it, it could have been in Rome, but it was actually, it could have been even dictated to Mark, we're not sure. There's, there's a question whether Mark actually was here and being dictated to, but Peter wrote this letter and he was in Rome at one time in his life. We know that he disappeared from the map in, in, in the book of Acts around about Acts chapter 15. He was gone after that. He wasn't really mentioned after that in the book of Acts. Where did he go? Tradition says he went to Rome and at the end of chapter 5 it says the church that is at Babylon uh, elected together with you salutes you and so does Marcus my son it, the clue here is that Babylon was the, the, the metaphorical name for Rome and tradition says that Peter died on the cross in Rome hanging upside down because he didn't think he was worthy enough to be crucified like his saviour, vertically, right side up. And Mark, it is believed, I, I did some research on here, there's, there's early church fathers like Papias, um, Eusebius, uh, Arrhenius, that believe that Marcus, John Mark, that's what Marcus is just another name for John Mark, was with Peter. He was in a, a companion and a servant of Peter, the apostle. He was the one that Paul rejected because he left, he left them, Barnabas and Paul, in Perga. He, he abandoned them and there was a big disputation between Peter and Barnabas, uh, Paul and Barnabas as to whether they should take John on the next missionary journey. Paul said no. But later on in the book of Colossians, Peter writes and said, Bring, and in him, Timothy said, bring John Mark. He's been very useful for me. Even though there was a disagreement early in their, in their lives, he found him to be useful. And God is a God of redemption. And God, that's what's so beautiful about the Bible. The Bible says as it is. It doesn't glorify or paint the, a false picture of Christians are ideal, they never make mistakes, they never have difficulties, they never have squabbles and disagreements. They do. But the beauty of it is, the grace of God makes all the difference. And the grace of God is able to change, and the grace of God is able to save. And the grace of God is able to empower the believer 
and bring about repentance. So Peter's writing now this to the, the Christians in general here that this is how you need to live your life out now. He says, we have this common precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. As I study the, the issue of the Trinity, the, the concept of the Trinity, this verse came out and if you read it as it is, you could read it two ways. The grace of God, which is through the righteousness of God and through the righteousness of our Saviour. Or if, you, if the real scholars, that, Greek scholars that know the syntax and the, the, the linguistics and the grammar here, they say there's a rule that they use in Greek that you have one subject and the both objects in the, in the subsequent clause mean the same thing. That he is not only our God, but he's our Savior, Jesus Christ. The concept of the Trinity is introduced also here in this chapter. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our Lord, of our God and Jesus our Lord. This is a typical greeting that Peter, that Paul would give. Grace and peace be unto you. Like the Jewish shalom. It was more than just greetings. It was, may your welfare be... I have your welfare at stake when I say this, not at stake, but in, in mind that your welfare and your well-being when I greet you with peace, the peace of God. But now you've got grace. The grace of God in the Hebrew was hesed, loving kindness, and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. What strikes me about this is that grace and peace doesn't come by itself. Grace and peace does not just come by reading the Gospels or by some, someone coming to you and to me and saying, you know, God bless you and, and so forth. May God's be, peace be upon you. That's my wishes for you. But the true peace that comes from God comes only one way. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes through Christ. Grace and peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you read the book of Ephesians, it says we are saved by grace, but what? Through faith. We can only have the grace of God in our lives, access to that grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Just while singing was going on, I just want to remind myself on Romans chapter 5, which says in chapter 5, uh, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, By whom, by Christ, we have also access by faith into this grace. Faith is the receiver, the receiving mechanism through which we receive the grace of God. If we don't believe him, we won't get it. If we reject him, we won't get it.
the James, was it said? And I think Peter, the same one, says that God resists the proud but gives grace unto the humble. Two apostles said the same thing. God resists the proud but gives grace unto the humble. And the humble, God said, I will in no way cast out. This man will I accept. He that is of a broken and contrite heart and a broken spirit, I will in no wise reject. And so the channel for the grace is really our faith and belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Through that we receive his peace and through that we receive his grace, wherein we have access into this grace. So Peter is saying, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, if you trust in him, you will receive his grace, his peace, and it will be multiplied to you. As Jesus said, pressed down and running over. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, here we have this word knowledge. You may say, well, I thought it was just grace. I just thought it was me praying a prayer and God forgiving me, and that's his grace. The word knowledge is used not only here, but in the Old Testament. Solomon wrote much about knowledge, much about wisdom, much about understanding. And further down, he talks about diligently doing these things, diligently seeking for his knowledge, diligently working and putting effort in like a, as a Christian. And when I looked at that word diligent, it's the same word that Paul uses in Timothy chapter 2. He said, study to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. And not handling the word of God in, in, in any deceitful way. Study, me. the word is the same one as diligent. Be diligent. Make an effort. It's not going to come to you by osmosis. It's not going to come to me by osmosis. It's going to come by applying ourselves to studying the word of God. To acquiring the, 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 the truth. Who Christ is. Who God is. Who I am. What God can do for me. What I need to do as a servant of Christ. Knowledge by itself puffs us up. But applying that knowledge is the wisdom that God gives us when we seek him diligently. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For without faith it's impossible to please God. But he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that what? Diligently seek him. We may say, well, I prayed to God and I didn't get an answer. So I went back to doing whatever I did. Is that diligently seeking him? Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 said, this is how you seek God. Knock, it shall be opened to you. Ask, it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Be persistent. 
Do you, how badly do you want it? How badly do you want eternal life and a blissful life above everything else? We heard that this morning. If you suffer, will that stop you? If it makes you want to give up other habits and bad habits or things that are wasteful, will that stop you? Because you're removing fun from my life. This knowledge is this epignosis. We talk about something being the epicenter. It's the chief center. This is like the highest knowledge. This is like the practical experiential knowledge that we get when walking with Christ. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Again, the word knowledge. That knowledge is not just an awareness. We, we talked about that. It's more of knowing your God as a relational being. Like a husband and her, his wife. They should know each other in a way. Not just physically. They should know what your likes are, what your dislikes are. They should know what pleases you, what displeases you. They should know how to handle each other in this situation. Peter says, walk according with your wife according, the weaker vessel, according to knowledge. Well, what knowledge? Not necessarily reading what, you know, this couple over here does or what this, no, but knowing who they are, what, the, what these inner feelings and these inner goings on are so that we can relate with each other, so we can understand each other, so we can cooperate together with each other, work with each other. And he's given us all things that pertain to life and godly living. So we don't have an excuse. If we have that grace, and there's all grace, Peter says about all grace. Paul says about all grace. There's a grace for everything. It's not just grace for salvation. Paul writes to, Timoth to Titus and he says, the grace that has appeared unto us is able to teach us all things about godly living. Let me just <clears throat> quote that. It's right before... Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. This is not just free grace, grace that is cheap grace. God saves me, I can go and do what I want because his, his, his grace will keep me regardless of what diligence I put into my faith, how much I follow up with what I really believe or should be believing. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us. The word called really 
is the word for invited. God has called us, he's invited us to be part of his kingdom, just like the marriage feast. He went and called those on the highways and byways after his own people rejected him. He called them, he invited them to the feast. And those that did come were now, if you will, on the road to heaven through that narrow gate that we heard about this morning. The gate that leads to the narrow road that leads to heaven. That's the cold. Because whom he predestinated, he also called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. And he talks about here, he has called us to glory and virtue, to moral excellence, not to the mundane, just keeping the religious rules. Not to checking in every week and putting in one or two hours a week in, the, in, 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 in church and then we go home and we do whatever we want to do. We think that I deserve to do the things that I want to do now that I want to do. Did you ever, ever have that uh, feeling or that uh, discussion within yourselves? I've put so much work into studying and helping people. Now I want to do what I want to do. So I get on my computer game or whatever it is, right? It doesn't make life any easier. As a matter of fact, it makes life harder. It makes life harder when you, you take a... All of our lives should be a spiritual life. It shouldn't become compartmentalized to spiritual secular. This is what he's talking about when he says who has called us to glory and virtue. Virtue is moral excellence, not moral mediocrity, not moral it seems to be enough, but moral excellence. When the Olympics were going on in Tokyo 2021, one of the sprinters was interviewed, or they were talking some kind of a, I guess a biography of a couple of sprinters, and Usain Bolt made a comment why this particular sprinter failed when she was the most favorite to win. And he says, you don't train enough. He told her, you don't train enough. Think, well, I put in my three hours running today. I watched what I ate. I had some good sleep. But he said, if you want to compete at that level, you can't be eating potato chips two days a week and then be on a diet for five. And you can't be running around the track for one hour and then slouching on your couch. For, I'm just making this up, right? But this is what we get about moral excellence, the virtue. How do we build ourselves up? When he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, godly living. And someone once said that godliness is having in the foreground of your mind or the back of your mind at all times the presence of God. How would we live? 
if we always were keenly aware, every, every waking moment of our day, every second, every minute, the presence of God. As the, the monk wrote, Brother Lawrence, the book, the practicing the presence of God in everything he did, whether he swept the house, whether he was feeding the chipmunks, whatever it was, he was always envisioning the presence of God with him. You know, maybe that's why. No, not maybe. I believe that's why. God does allow trials in our lives, some very severe trials in our lives, to wean us off our flesh. James is very clear. Your fiery trials will come upon you. Rejoice in them. For they're going to, they're going to purify you. James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have her perfect work. Let it go through. Don't avoid the trial. Don't run from the trial. Because if you don't, it says, let it have a perfect work and that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Do you remember, I don't know if any of you remember the, the Christian hostages in, in, in Korea, North Korea at one time? Remember that? They were captive. Some of them, I think they were martyred, some of them. But while they were in captivity, all they could do was pray, 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 pray. And when they finally got released, they said, there are parts of us that would want to have stayed there because they've never felt closer to God. Peter is saying, the Apostle Peter is saying, this, what God is calling you to do through the knowledge of him is calling you to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. This, this phrase, I'm having a little bit of a problem with that. Because when I see divine nature, in writing this, this paper on uh, the Trinity, we say that God is one being with three persons and they all have the same essence or the same nature. It's called deity. It's called divinity. There's only one being in the whole universe that has the essence, the nature of the triune God. That's what makes Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and, and, and God the Father, one God. This, I looked it up yesterday as I was completing my paper. Um, the same word for divinity 
is the word Godhead translated in other places. Colossians chapter 2. For speaking of Christ, it said, For he is the fullness in the Godhead. Christ. The Godhood or the Godhead. They are one. And the, the word there is used, the base word is theos. theos. The base word for here is theostes. Does that mean that we as redeemed humans have a part of that nature? Not yet. Not now. I don't think we'll ever have exactly what God has. But what we do have and what we will have when we are glorified will be his children his adopted children, his spiritually adopted children, will be heirs and co-heirs with the Son, Jesus Christ. There's no way that we can say that we have the same essence as God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we have this divine nature, this godly nature. And when we get glorified, all the sin, all the, 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 the shortcomings that we have upon this earth will be obliterated. Why, why are we partakers of the divine nature? Because we have escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. And as Brother Edwin was preaching this morning on vanity, that's one of the, one of the definitions of vanity is depravity, corruption. I think he mentioned that. We have escaped the corruption and the depravity of this world that comes through lust. And beside this, he says, it's not enough. It's not enough to have virtue and moral excellence. He says, giving all diligence you cannot absorb it. It doesn't come to you by osmosis, as I said. But we've got to make an effort. We've got to put in disciplinary actions, temperance, self-discipline. We've got to beat our bodies into subjection. As Paul says, add to your faith virtue. You've got faith. Now put it into practice. Put your faith into practice. Be morally excellent. You know, it reminded me of Philippians chapter 1. Be confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun... A good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's just begun, but he'll continue performing this until the time you go to be with Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you, all because I have both you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, ye are also partakers 
of my grace. For God is my record, how I greatly long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ, and I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment, that ye may approve the things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere without wax, without offence until the day of Christ. Are we settling for second best? Oh, I speak to myself first. Am I settling for second best? We've got to keep on applying ourselves. Just when we think we've done all we could, Jesus said, when you've done all you could, when you've done everything that he's asked you to do, still say, I am just an unprofitable servant. Servant. And I've only done that which was my duty to do. But, brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be a duty. This should be a desire to work in the vineyard of God, to be his ambassadors because of what he has done for us. Let's just go back to uh, the last verse I want to quote. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. What's he saying? He's saying that if you're not doing these things, if you're not adding to your faith virtue and virtue, uh, all these things, the, the beautiful uh, Christian adornments, if you will, the fruit that we bring, then... He says, you're blind. You can't see afar off. And you've forgotten that you were purged from your sins. What does that mean? Basically, you don't appreciate what Christ did for you. You don't love Christ. I don't love Christ. I don't like to use you. Sorry, correct me every, every time. We, if we do these things, we do not love Christ for what he has done for us on the cross. He gave himself for us because he loved the world. And what do we give in return? That should, that should be what is motivating us to seek moral excellence, to seek to increase our knowledge of him, our relationship with him. And then verse 11 says, For you will then have a glorious entrance into the everlasting kingdom. Will we have an entrance into the everlasting kingdom? And if so, do we just want to get there by the skin of our teeth? Or do we want to come home in a victory parade as Paul often pictures victors coming back with a bounty. What I say, what I preach, I pray first for myself and I pray each and every one of us because the days are short and the days are evil and Jesus is coming soon. And we pray even so, Lord Jesus, come. To him be the glory evermore. Will a brother please find him? It immediately took me to a place that I visited many years ago. Some of you may remember 
the Worland family? Mark Worland was in Ottawa preparing a new house for his family. He's the cousin to the Cattle family. And he got news that his house back in near Niagara Falls burnt down together with his wife, seven children, and one in the womb. He raced back, to say the least, speeding down the 401, caught by a police officer. And he told the police officer what was going on. He said, keep going made provision for him to reach home. He was on the CBC Post News, whatever it was, interviewed. I watched it on video. And he says, what kept you going through all of this? It was only like a week fresh. He said, my faith in God. And he said, I know my children are looking down from heaven now. I was invited to go to the cattle household one, a year later, or months later. And there was Mark Worland's uncle and somebody else that had come from I forgive and forget where now. And we discussed where they came from. They were part of the ACC at one time, the Nazarene Church in Europe. And for some reason, there was this, they formed their own church in France. And they had, a, they had a hymnal, didn't have any notes in it, just words. And they learned the music by, by heart. And they would sing out of this hymnal, probably... What do you call it? Monotone? One voice harmony? I mean, you know what I mean. And then he mentioned to me, you know, your Zion's harp, it's got a lot of sad songs in there. A lot of songs that have got a lot of struggles. You can feel it through the wording and he says, there's a reason for that. Because the Nazarene suffered a lot in Yugoslavia. That's why immediately when he said that, that thought came to my mind. But it's not just because of that, but because they ring true. They ring true. We can identify with the experiences we can know what our parents went through. I met a man in Adelaide, 1987, 88, I forget what year it was, 80, maybe even earlier, that I was introduced to that said, I know your father. He wasn't a Nazarene, but he lived in the same town. And he remembered him going to war, to prison 
for not taking guns, for not taking up arms and swearing an oath. And he says, your father was a good man. He was a hard worker. It's good to hear from somebody that you don't, never met in your life that's one of our people, one of our Nazarenes. I'm not saying this to push my father up, but, but to say that out of the blue, somebody comes and says, I know your father. Are we going to have that legacy when we part from this earth, when we cross the Jordan? That we will have a testimony that we've left a mark. As Paul says, in my body I bear the marks of the Lord Jesus by what we live, by our honesty, by our integrity, by our holy living, by our godliness. Are we going to leave a mark behind? Everyone will stand according to his own faith on that day. And I pray that we will be victorious. We will have that bountiful entry into the new Jerusalem. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.